Darren, there's been a change in the weather. <laughs> uh, bah humbug. It's very profound, so you'll know yourself. Um, when you spend the first 18 years of your life in Ireland, you're used to this natural order of things where when you're inside a building, it's warmer than it is when you're outside a building. But then when you're living in Australia, quite often um, it's the other way around where it's air-conditioned inside and then you go out into the heat. And that happened on Friday. And it wasn't a brutal heat. It wasn't the sort of like midsummer heat. It was just this beautiful 25-degree spring breeze. And I had this amazing experience of just like, it, it completely snapped me like in a, a, an instant to all the times that I've been I've had that same experience of like the first time I went to America and first time I went to Africa and got off the plane and it's just this really instantaneous momentary uh, I don't know like uh, what is it I, I was transported and then I there's was there's something in the in the smell of heat the, of airport heat you um, know that when you step off a plane and you get that Oh it's yeah, kind of tarmac. Think, yeah, with airplane fuel plus heat. It's it, it still <laughs> gets me every now and again. Not not domestic flights so much, but definitely the internationals like that. Stop over in the Middle East. Uh-huh. Whoa. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, there must be something to do with that that uh, vast amount of um, hard surface that's just reflecting this heat back, or like you know, and uh, shimmer of oil mixed with uh, black <laughs> pavement. That's and beautiful. Forty degree heat. I mean, I, what's not to love? I, uh, I, like the first time I came up to your house, I remember the first time I came up to your house in Berwyn Heads in December of 2017 and it was roasting. And the wind... It was like a hairdryer in your face. It was on, like, it was. It, it was like that, you know, you put your head under a, a hand dryer or something. It's, it's like it, when you forget your oven is so hot. Yes. And you got to check on something and you lean in as you open it and you go, oh, Jesus, that was a silly idea. That but was that's it. cold and summer. I'd, I know, and like I'd been here for like two weeks. I was like, Jesus, and there's dust and branches of trees and things because this is a windy town, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was blowing past. I was getting dust and leaves in my hair and stuff. And I was coming up to your house. I think I was carrying a, a guitar case and it was, it was catching the wind side on. And I was like nearly blowing down the road myself. Anyway, that was not what happened the other day. The other day, it was just a, a glorious moment of, um, I, I don't know, rem, re, remembering all these different places and, and thinking how strange it is that I now live in a place where um, quite often the natural order of things, as I've come to understand it, is reversed. So so there you are. That was, yeah. that was the highlight of the weekend. It's uh, a good reminder, you know, Christmas is on its way when the weather starts getting really hot. It, it will <laughs> never, it will just never sit right with me, ever. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be my... Is it seventeenth or eighteenth year? And uh-huh. I'm still going. Nah, it's not right. <laughs> it's just the. It's just you know, the 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 names of the months are attached to the wrong meteorological conditions for me. It's it's not easy to let go of that. You know, it's not easy to let go of the fact that December is supposed to be wet. Should we partition them to swap them around? Yes. I mean, what? what <laughs> how difficult could that be? Just for us, I know. But I, I think the cows would be confused, and the uh, the blinds, the, the the curtains would fade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know those two expressions. No, 
they are there were two grievances given in Queensland for daylight savings. A, the cows would be confused, and B, the curtains would fade. When when daylight savings was introduced, uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. The heat will do funny things to your head. Uh huh. Well, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. So, um, today's guest on the podcast is. Uh, she doesn't live in Queensland, but she's she's up that way. She's in Byron Bay, and her name is Mary Machiavelli, and she's bloody brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good crack. This is this is just a really this is great crack. Yeah, like you say. Um, one thing I should point out, Darren, you'll know like what a technical wizard I am. That um, uh, the way things work with me is if I know what's going on uh, when I'm out recording, and I have complete control of everything that's fine but the minute there's like a a single spanner in the works uh, I'm I'm all at sea and that's what happened when we were recording Mary's episode because uh, we had to do our chat via the phone and um, for some reason I was listening to the conversation on headphones plugged into my phone but I also had my phone on speaker <laughs> so there are some uh, lovely little odd uh, quirks in this uh, recording where you can hear a little bit of Mary um, uh, laughing down the phone um, <laughs> just before I managed to kind of uh, fade between our respective voices. So um, just just by way well, of... Well, exp- oh, that just kind of gives me a, a bit of a segue because I wanted to mention something about Patreon and I think I want to mention this now that you've brought that up. Right. I know that a mistake like that has probably cost you an extra three to four hours of extra editing time. <laughs> and that's, I just want to say that thank you to the patrons because that's like the, the, the work that Dom is going to do for that is being paid for. So thank you so much. To correct my own stupidity. <laughs> yeah, but like I, I, I actually understand how much work is in it anyway. There's hours and hours of work of just there editing, is. never mind all the other stuff. There is. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up that wasn't part of that segue was just, you know, I was away on the weekend and I had a four-hour drive each way to going on holiday and coming back from it. So I listened to a fair few podcasts of my own. And I just wanted to mark that there are no ads in our podcast. Like all our listeners, if you're a long-term listener of this podcast, you'll know there's no breaks in the middle of this to sell you anything. You might hear us talk about Patreon at the start and at the end. You might hear us talk about something like the O'Flaherty Retreat or Kyol FM. Like these are not big ads. Like they're just partnerships or like the people we believe in. We'd happily mention them. What just grinds my gears is to be lost in a in beautiful content and then to be just pulled out of it so jarringly with such highly compressed ads like I, we myself and Dom get the Australian ones over here they're mm-hmm. so obnoxious <laughs> and it's just pulled you out and myself and Dom put our hands in our pockets and pay for that like so we, from day one we've always known that we weren't going to have ads because we pay not to have them on there it's one of the tick boxes when we upload our uh, content so thank you to the patron saints you're the ones who are taking those ads off like i know it's not like we've it's um yeah it's the kind of thing that uh y- you don't notice it because it's not there um but uh um, if it was there you would notice like it. i got angry <laughs> driving the other day it was just like no no you can't 
do that to us. I mean, it's all right. It's it's all right to get angry with us. I mean, <laughs> like that's that, that's fine. If you if you just like think, would you shut up and get on with the music? Then that, you know that's fine. That's a valid critical response to listening to me and Darren talking too long at the top and the bottom of the the episode. But you don't have to listen to an ad for underpants or listen to me talk about. Um, I personally enjoy using this particular pencil. I was just needing to write something the other day and I just reached for this pencil that I've got. It's a brilliant, it's a, you know, so you get the idea. Patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims is the place to go if you would like to become a patron, if you haven't already. And yeah. And if you want to spread, spread the love, we'll still keep this podcast free for everyone else and ad free. We'll keep paying for that. But share the love. Make sure you hit subscribe. Give us a review. That really helps. And that, that's 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 it. I think for the uh, the panhandling for today, it just it just got to me. All right. that was a long drive, and I heard too many ads for Toyota. <laughs> and don't, don't mention them. We're we're advertising them by mentioning them. So, um, I, um, so the today's guest, Miriam McEvely, she lives in Byron Bay, and um, she's a, really a, a great fiddle player. And I, as I've said many times, and this is always true when I say it, uh, she's one of those players who. People have said from day one, oh, you have to talk to her. You have to talk to her. And it's taken us a year and a half to figure it out with one thing and another, you know, the old pandemic and things like that. But we've made it happen. So I think with that, we'll just get into it. What do you think, Darren? Let's do it. Here's Mary McEvely.
Mary McEvely Butler, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. We're so delighted to have a chance to chat with you because I think uh, the first time Darren and I saw you playing was uh, at the Port Arlington, the National Celtic Festival in Port Arlington in it 2019. Was. Yeah. And it was a it was like a super group. Like it was a there was like a mob on stage <laughs> cranking through tunes. It was amazing. <laughs> Oh, and you know, we had been practicing for years before that, before that amazing performance. But it was, well, it's such, it, it, it's such a great festival. It's, um, it's just such a joy to be at. And, um, and Mark and I have been going, my husband, Mark, um, he, we've been both going for over 10 years. And um, that infamous super group was um, about three different sets of musicians together and, uh Thank goodness, with the the help of Sosta in the background, they made us sound very professional. So there was like <laughs> there, there were um, maybe ten, ten or eleven, twelve of you, maybe something like that. There was yeah, it, it was it, it was it was crazy. And uh, when we saw it written on the on the program that Una and the committee had uh, organised, we were thinking, hmm, how's this gonna go? But. Uh, just like well laid plans or on, on or should I say unlaid plans, it, it worked out really well. And um there was a group um there was a group, we'll say, of Byron Bay musicians, a group of Sydney musicians, and then the band Sosa that are based in Brisbane. So it it was oh, it was it was great fun, I have to say. It had had amazing um, sort of momentum about it and, and just this sense of um it had a sense of flying by the seat of its pants a bit which was just really fun. <laughs> Everybody was just... Why would you ever think such a thing? I don't know where you would have gotten that idea. But it was one of those, one of those <laughs> energies where the, um, the atmosphere in the, in the crowd matches the atmosphere on stage. You know, that kind of... We, who's having uh, more fun? That's great. I'm going to pay you later for saying all that now. <laughs> but it was. And, and, and you know what? And as you mentioned, even just about creating a podcast and interviewing different people, it's about having fun and, and not taking life, I suppose, in in general not taking it too seriously but um oh yeah it was it, it was fun and i'm i'm ready for the next one whenever that will be i know right so samir what what were the the tunes that you just played there for us yeah um just part of the what i love about irish music even on its own is just the names of them um and that that first one uh, that first reel is called last night's fun so we can already preempt what we're going to be talking tomorrow about after this podcast. We can say it was last night's fun. And um, the second one is called um, is, the, is the Bank of Ireland. And there's a couple of different ways you can play it. But um, I just I went with single, both of them as, as, as single reels. And um, you, they're just tunes that you would hear at the session. I can't even remember where I learned them, but I must have picked them up at... Um, at playing at different sessions it is intriguing about the the way that um the name for a tune even though it has no it's not like the tune necessarily represents anything to do with the name but the name that yeah. itself has <laughs> just I, i've always loved the the old wheels of the world as a as a name of a tune that just um i, I something about that image has always always sort of taken me you know um, the, the wheels of the world. The wheels of the world, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's jig. Is it in G? I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, um, I I remember it being at the written at the back of a Fadog Thorn 
book number one or something that we might have had at home Aye. and uh, I always remember it written in the book although I don't think I, I ever play it actually I'm not sure you'll have to you'll have to sing it for me now or play it for me to see if I know it I can't <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've, you've rumbled me for the fraud that I am <laughs> oh. oh no no no, no. it's, it's, a, it's a, a friendly loving community here we are when Dom says he collects tunes, he collects the names of tunes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? I'm not. I'm not too. <laughs> it's so much easier uh, that, that way. Great? Actually, that would suit me a lot better. Actually, it's funny actually because some musicians they're great with the names. They're great. They know, and others um, wouldn't have a name uh, to save their life. And of course, it doesn't bother them at all. But I, I do have to say, I do like knowing the names, and it helps me remember them and how they go. But, um, yeah. So where? Did, where does the music come from for you? Like, where did, are, are you aware of like having an have an, an earliest memory of um, where the oh, seed was planted? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I always remember, like we, um, so I grew up in a tiny little village called Ballantubber, um, and it's right in the middle of uh, County Mayo. I would say it's about seven miles from Castle Bar and 10 miles from Westport. And um, we learned pri- music in primary school. Um, some people had the joy, I suppose, of the recorder, but we had the tin whistle so that we can thank our primary school teachers for that. And um, but we always had music in the house because my dad, my dad played. But um, I remember the day that we were told that we were going to get have music lessons and um i think we must have guessed every in my brother and i john um he's my lovely older brother he we must have guessed every instrument under the sun and then we finally came to the piano <laughs> took us a while and i think we started off i think my dad felt that we would have a great understanding of music if we started off on the piano. Of course, we were playing the tune whistle at, uh, in primary school, but we started off on that and then kind of progressed later into the, uh, to playing the fiddle and and it went from there. But even looking at old photographs um, of dad having musicians in the house, um, local musicians and uh, just sitting sitting on dad's knee, uh, and he played the accordion, but uh, I don't. Actually, um, I'll have to come back to you before the end to see will something come to me at my very f- first memory. Uh-huh. Was was I mean I grew up in the north, and so uh, I mean we played the tin whistle, and it was and it was um, it was uh, Roddy McCarley and the Foggy Jew and oh. the, you know the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the Arma Piper's Club starter book. I don't know if you had that. No, I know, I know, I know what you mean exactly. We had I, uh, Jane of Kiel, I think, was the one that we had uh, making making music, and um, and so and that's what we learned in primary school too. Was Roddy McCorley, the dawning of the day. Uh, yeah, we'd be, we'd be actually we'd be fine for a marching band, wouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sign us up. <laughs> Are you free at any certain time of the year? <laughs> I sent another super band coming together. Yeah. <laughs> was it something that that came easily to you though like the actual mechanics of playing i mean did it i enjoy playing that's a such a good question um i think i just i suppose as a 
a little girl I didn't I enjoy I really enjoyed playing um didn't get the concept of practice didn't kind of understand that you need to keep doing it <laughs> I think it's like you know it's like kindergarten students when they start school and then they hear they have to come back the next day and they burst some burst into tears you mean I have to go back so that's, um I, I find yeah. that, that's how I used to feel going to work you know it's like yeah. I've done well, it I'll, I'll, this place is open tomorrow as well oh geez. yeah <laughs> they need me back um and yeah. uh, I think just really enjoyed playing the music I suppose I should I'd like to ask my parents that like wh- what was their concept of how, what we we what, what what we did John and I um John uh, is two uh, three years older than me actually and I kind of always looked up to him um he always seemed to know what to do with the music so I kind of just followed him and uh um and what is what we, does he play he plays yeah he plays fiddle so both of us play the fiddle and um uh, it was it, it is good it's great actually it's great when i visit home because there's nothing like two fiddles playing together actually it sounds so good and he married good choice there john he he married um another fiddle player um laura began and she comes from a great family of musicians so um look out people it's tri- it's triple mckevley's now and um yeah i i just i think i think dad just always loved the music and always wanted us to stick with it i suppose you know with children you know you're developing a taste for lots of different things like sports and music and all sorts of interests and there definitely would have been times where um he would be strongly encouraging us to stick at it and that you would really appreciate it when you're older but of course as a child you, you have no concept of time and uh, that just didn't make any well not that it didn't make any sense but you did, didn't really want a bar of it at times but boy am i glad boy am i glad that i uh, that we stuck with it and listened to him and uh, and that i'm still playing today do you remember when that kind of clicked in when you crossed over yeah um it was the con- this concept of like of having summer schools um so when I turned I was around 15 um you know we had started um with the music lessons that we had been getting um we started competing at the flas at like the local like the, the county and then the provincial and and then each year leading up to the flacol the All Ireland, they would have summer schools, and um, my my mom she took us to John and I to um, Clonmel the year one year, and um, I was about fifteen, and oh my goodness, there were like teenagers, other teenagers that played Irish music. This was the foreign concept. It was the be- it was the best thing that happened for my playing. To think that yeah. other people were interested and it just opened up such a wealth of uh, music but of course the social aspect and oh it was just such great fun um and still it's actually it's funny it's still friendly with some of the people that i would have met there for the first time at 15 and, and we're still talking so um the proof is in the pudding, pudding there but um the concept of summer schools just really helped my playing and um and thanks to 
uh, a lovely family that we were friendly with, uh, the Langans and Mary Langan. They they would go to um, Milton Albury every year um, for the summer school of, of Woody, Woody Clancy. And I was lucky enough to go with them for um, for a few years. And uh, that just opened up another, another, I suppose, a window or opportunity of playing more. And did, did your mum play as well? She would have loved to have played. And I think, um, but the great story about my mom is that it's never too late to learn. And since uh, she retired as a nurse from nursing, um, she's taken up the piano. And it's just, it's, it's and she, she just, fi- she just enjoys it so much. It just brings her such great joy. It's, it's, it's lovely to think that, you know, it's just never too late. And, uh, um, and it's, you know, she just enjoys kind of understanding it more too. Like, and she's able to ask us, ask us questions and, um, you know, even her reading music. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's just such a lifelong hobby. It's great. So now it's a so there's three fiddles and a piano player and an accordion player for the, for Christmas when you get to go home. Yeah. That sounds like a riot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, you can imagine our Christmas cards as well with the family featured, yeah. just like they do in America. Uh, yeah, no, it's great, and um, uh, I really do enjoy coming home and uh, having a few tunes with Dad, and then John would come to the house, and he loves playing piano accompaniment as well so it's great that he he can back us as well and uh and mam is there in between cups of tea she's she's throwing in her 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 opinion as well with the um when you were when you were younger uh, how much did the competing play into your love of it like is 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 is, were the competition something that you kind of went towards for long or was it just something you dabbled in yeah, and you know what? It was um, it was lovely hearing. Just speaking about that, it was lovely to hear Afric Voilin uh, on one of your previous podcasts to, just to talk about that, because an awful lot of musicians or you know young people would have um, competed at the Flas and uh, and like she said, I think in ways it was great to have a goal to work towards. Um, I. For me, I suppose it was nearly a social event as well that I enjoyed playing. And and I think you either, I suppose maybe you like compete. Some people like the performance aspect of it and others, I suppose, probably would feel ridiculously nervous uh, competing in front of adjudicator and with the audience watching. But um, uh, I, I enjoyed it, you know, for a certain number of years. And then, of, then you... Uh, you know late teens you kind of uh into adulthood you think okay well that's i'll just go to the flowers now for for to meet people and play some music rather than focusing on the competition but that's not to say that i ha- haven't competed and we uh, we used to enter into like solo competitions but also like uh groupy kills um group um com- not a Kaylee band and there's another one and another competition called with that's based on a group but the way music is arranged and I think you used to play for seven minutes with and you'd try to have a variety of different tunes within that I've nearly forgotten that actually it's like a different it's like a, a different world but um we enjoyed it and 
so um, so with Kjold it's like there was lots of great things about it and um, there was a way of coming together like my brother still um, even in the last few years has has competed he and his wife with in Kaylee like that senior Kaylee band competition which lots and lots of people um, are really interested in so th- and he's competed but I suppose I've moved overseas and um, kind of got a I'm not exposed to that, really. It's funny. I've I've asked I've I've asked so many people about the competition aspect of it and and the social aspect of it and how it comes into play and what kind of role. And it's only really hit me listening to you talking that I I'd something very similar, which is like I was in the scouts for ten years from like Beavers right. right through to Adventures, and it's just hit me that geez, it's so similar. Like uh, one whole part of it is just being near friends that have are into a similar topic and then the other part was the competitions which drove you to be better mm. but really with my personality it sounds like it's similar to you, yourself in Africa it was it was the driver to be better but really it was your gateway to even bigger social events where you're just going to be you're going to be exposed to more like-minded people so it was like a, just a safe space instantly for and, a, a young yeah. person to be in and and I say safe space as in like socially safe. You can be kind of a relaxed version of yourself. That's not your school self or your your at home self. You're just kind of independent person. That's that's actually that's such a good point. I never thought about that because I'm becoming to life. Um, uh, I can be an introvert, but I I like to be an extrovert too. And I, it was just I'd be like a social butterfly, just really enjoying meeting and greeting Completely. And, and playing so, uh, and playing music. And, um, and it just exposed you to such a variety of players and abilities. And obviously new, I, I, I know people listening, but know all this, but new music, new tunes, just or tunes you wouldn't have played in a long time. So it, um, and those summer schools leading up to it as well. They were just, so beneficial. Um, Before we have another tune, Mary, like for the benefit of anybody who's never been to a flag competition, you know, can you paint a picture for me of what you see when you walk in there to play a tune in front of an adjudicator? Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, I want to, I want you to go back, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Lie down. Are we, are we going to do a little bit of hypnosis here? We are. Uh, we are. Revert. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I suppose. Yeah. It depends on what age, um, the age group that you would have been in. But uh, um, so you'd usually play either two or three tunes. Usually of each would be a different type of tune. Jake reel or hornpipe. Uh, I think that might have been four tunes for senior, for over 18s. I can't remember now. And um and are the adjudicators sitting right in front of you there, like with? Yeah, so it depends on. So sometimes they would have just one adjudicator, it's sometimes two, and then maybe and somebody like in a secretarial role as well. And um, hopefully, you know, when you were you walked up to sit on that lone seat, so you you would be sitting. Um, we'll say say you know in a standard place would be in a classroom or or a hall. And then you're sitting on your own. There's the table of the adjudicator and then your audience is usually behind. So I suppose if you were to look d- deeply into what you'd say, it was could be a little bit of a lonely place sitting up there on your own. 
And then you're hoping that the um, the adjudicator would be friendly, that they might give a nod or say a word or something just to kind of calm your nerves. And uh, you play your tune. Um, the adjudicator is writing down as you taking notes as you play. Um, you finish the audience claps and then you wait a few more minutes or you know minutes it might have felt like minutes um and then you play your next you play your next tune were there ever kind of adjudicators for that when you walked in you went oh no it's old barney so and so yeah i have to say i have we have like between my brother and i we haven't had those horror experiences of you know, it's like uh, a high school teacher and they've had a set against you or something. I, d- I don't know. But um, no, no, no. It, I ha- We have to say it has been, very, from what I can remember anyway, It's be- they were fairly positive, positive um, experiences. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure everyone can't say the same. But um, <laughs> most uh, adjudicators anyway would be very... Uh, encouraging really like I, I've even, I've done it briefly myself in the past and um, it's uh, made me some enjoy it and some like it's, it's not the nicest job in the world um, to have to choose um, I'm sure we're all winners aren't aren't we um, I suppose it depends on if the standard is similar um, the st- you know the style of music feeling about it um the type of tune um yeah sometimes it can be if there's depends on how many are in the competition it could be quite challenging to narrow it down um between um you know to have to put it into first and second and maybe a recommended third that might go on to the next level i mean obviously i don't have the the level of knowledge that you do but it, it in my head, there is a sense of, um, I mean, it, I guess something akin to the way that kids are tested academically at primary school, right? Absolutely. So, so you're taking something that's um, something that's organic and it has its own shape and definition, and you're you're um, assessing it against certain criteria, and you know maybe the criteria just aren't right for that. Or on the day, the way you played, what were you feeling? Um, I was going to say something else there along that when you kind of linked it in with um, academic performance too. Um, and you know, and I think if you've got a compassionate bone in your body, you you can understand, empathize with how the performer is feeling. Um, if if it's a close competition, but if it's not a close, sometimes it's really obvious who the winners. Well, what does what does what, what equates winners? But um, who played their very best on on the day? I suppose. Actually, I sound like an adjudication now because I would have heard that phrase on the day, such and such would have played very well, or you know. It's not uh, you. It's me. It's <laughs> We've all heard it. We've all heard it. We've heard variations of it. Time for a tune, I think. How did you know? How did you know? <laughs> Is it, is the cane coming out to 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 cane somebody off now? Uh, um, or right, we'll 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 keep it. Um, we'll I'll I'd like to play um a couple of jigs, um, and uh, I'll 
I'll have a chat about them uh, afterwards and uh, I'll, um, oh, hello. Now, hopefully you can still, still hear me.
Mary, that was great. So you said you were going to tell us what they were. Yeah, they just re- really, those three tunes really remind me of growing up um, in Mayo. And the first one is called Old Joe's. Jake and I learned that from John. He used to play it on the tin whistle when he was a nipper. And um, second one is a fairly standard, one of the hits uh, made on the green that I learned from um, my fiddle teacher, Paddy Ryan. Um, and the last one I learned from Dad uh, called Sweet Biddy Daily. He's the only one um, that I've heard playing that tune, actually. But, um, yeah, it was great. It was it was good to have a mix of... Um, Dad taught us at home, and it was great to have a resource that we could ask him questions. As And, of course, I was asking John, my older brother, questions too. But we... Um, we had lessons from he well we started on, on the whistle with a beautiful man called Jim Kildoff um and his son G- Vinny is a great uh, whistle player as well yeah, amazing he's whistle player yeah 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 he's great and and they uh, were from a small town called Kilchima um i think maybe the saw doctors made that town famous and um we would dad would bring us over to jim's house and uh we i think he might have I, it feels like he taught me my first reel which was toss the feathers and he'd write down the abc notation on um i, I just remember like on the back of a piece of cardboard like of a of a swiss roll you know you know the <laughs> the, the packaging of, of yeah sweet uh, sweet cake or something yeah and um, you know we go and practice that, and then come back to him. And I think he taught me. It feels like anyway that he taught me the fr- about ornamentation and rolls and and cuts, um, just to embellish the music. And then later, then we progr- and Then yeah, it was later then a few years after that that we dad got his fiddles, um, and uh, and we went from there to the renown. Um, Paddy Ryan, who's from Roscommon, and I was just kind of thinking about him today. That he, he, he must have taught thousands of students. Um, he he taught in lots of different places around the west of Ireland, and um, he just had such a wealth of of tunes. We've picked out so many, and we still have the book at home where he would, we would give him the, a notebook, and he would write two tunes just uh, he'd be listening to other students play and yet he was still able to write out the tunes for us that we would oh, do the wow. following week uh, without even thinking yeah. about it yeah yeah it was such a it was a he was quite a talent and um and he, he's just very well known and like heavily involved in Kyothis and uh in in the organization of the competitions and that and you know for years and years so he was a great resource I just wondered, like, I was thinking back about um, so many different people's experiences of learning the music, and so many of the people who they learned from seem to be men. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Was it a very male scene? And if it's, you know, if it wasn't, I'm not sort of... No, 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 I... No, I know exactly. No, it's because it's just an interesting thing to think about. Um, and that was definitely unconscious. Um, but the, I suppose it depended on the instrument because I know um, a great musician, uh, Bernie Geraghty, she played the concertina. She played the fiddle actually as well, but I think she just lived a bit further away and we kind of got to know her afterwards. Um, 
uh, we got to know her afterwards. Um, kind of a- a- after we were gone, were going to Paddy and um, and I think it was it was just out of there. There were no weren't any other musicians that we were going to at the time. They, he just happened to be. They just happened to be male. Where where but, did your dad's music come from? Yeah, it's it's interesting because he grew up. Um, he's originally from Ballantubber and uh, he was the eldest of four. And or he is the eldest of four. And because um, I was asking him, like, and he always said that, like, in his household and the McEvleys, they they just really loved music. And when his um, when his mother, my grandmother Lil, when she was married to my grandfather John Mack, um, she, I think she was allowed to bring one thing over to the to the McEvely house when she she moved there if she was married, and so she brought a gramophone, and um, so so they they listened to a lot of music and she played the melodians. She would have played some tunes um, on the melodian. I'd say lots of waltzes rather than loads, lots of re- jigs and reels. And then, um, and I think from there, the dad was the eldest and he, I think he just really always wanted to play and learn and had that interest. And, and as he was growing up, he was saying like that there weren't many uh, traditional musicians teaching around where he was. So he began on the piano um and later he um emigrated he played a moved to lived in england for a number of years and then he moved he went from there to new york and he was in in the states then for about 15 years and he played and picked up a lot of um the music at the sessions and i suppose he would have been going to the dance halls there at the irish clubs and picking up some music and uh, with a few teachers on the way as well. What was and he doing? He moved, he, yeah, he had a variety of jobs. Like he um, he worked in, we'll say in a gross, when he was like 18, I think he, you know, he worked in a shop and then moved on to even working at an open coal seam uh, mining and then he didn't feel he was going to progress any further then and moved to New York and um, he had two uncles there so I think at the time that's how you were going to get your visa if you had family members and um, he worked all sorts of jobs but the one he um, I think worked at the longest was as a bus driver imagine around New York City Wow. I, can't, I can't believe that he would be driving a bus around the Bowery, but he did. Yeah. And um, I think, but I don't know if he would say that, but he, I think he just wanted to save money so he could buy land uh, and move back to Ireland. I think that's always what he he wanted to do, and um, which he did. And he came back and he moved back in the 70s and he um, he met my man, who's from, who's local. He's, she's from Casabar, which is the closest town to Ballantubber but they met in they met in New York actually and um, as you do just like me when you go to Australia and then you meet an Irish man yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. well, well, you know we like to travel these distances just to make a point point. Yeah. and um, I think maybe mam had just been there you know she she had just moved and 
had only just been living there a few years uh, when she met dad and um, and he moved back and then she followed him afterwards uh, and they were married in 1974 so um, yeah maybe that's where I got the travel bug from <laughs> uh, you, you just mentioned one of the things I just wanted to loop back on before we leave it when you played that set of tunes and you come out you said you you, you, you played them because it just reminded you of Growing up around Mayo when you were young, what? How, how, can you describe what was what was it like growing up around Mayo? Like, I, I've no idea what that actually was like. Yeah, Darren, I I I also want to add in there. Like, I had written down about what it was like to grow up in Ballantubber because I also have no idea. Just from a perspective of somebody who's from the north, I kind of thought, mm. what would that have been like? So, so translate it into North and translate it into Jada, and we will. <laughs> I suppose it was just it was con- pure country living because um, my dad is now 86 and still a farmer and it was green fields literally what um, stone walls and the grass is green and um, like we in our village you know, we have the shop and the school and the pub and um, a beautiful abbey actually which is Ballantubber Abbey which is founded in 1216 and uh, um, that thank goodness put us on the map for some reason and uh, we went to the uh, local primary school you know those numbers were so small that like there would have been eight people in my primary school class and um, and then off to secondary school or high school in the local town in Castlebar there would have been three schools there high schools and um it was uh, so I what's the image like, in your mind like do, do you remember like is it is it the image of like as you said stone walls and green grass like is that, uh, abso- that is that your yeah, memories of absolutely and playing lots you know playing lots of music especially as a teenager too um, because we one good thing about the competing was that we local families in and around Castle Bar and then uh, Westport and Newport um, we would get together as teenagers um, and it was like I think dad really wanted to do it to to you know keep the interest in us playing and and learning tunes as well so we would we'd say maybe once a week we would go go to Westport um, and we would play together like on a Sunday afternoon and uh, it was a great practice as well as enjoyable and then the same group of musicians uh, would, you know, organize something to compete at the FLA or, or not, not all the time. But um, I'm trying to think, I suppose it's obviously so, so normal to me. Yeah, that we. Um, it was a case of, yeah, just I suppose we had quite a small family and but lots of cousins and aunts and uncles family around locally um and i nearly feel like saying oh what was it like for you and then i could see oh it was it was it different it's no i know it's, a, it's even, a... yeah what africa was saying as well like she um where she grew up uh very similar very very tame <laughs> um and uh, i'm not sure what else i could say about that i'm not 
and not explaining it as well as I could I don't think yeah I, I think when I when when people say that and then not more people say that well, I asked you the question and then so in my mind I instantly went like what was my childhood like what do I think of and because I, I drive is a big town we, we lived in a housing estate like for me it's a lot of like just playing out in the street Mm. It, that's the kind of that's that's my kind of go-to memory and it's just, i don't know it's kind of fascinating when like you went straight to the the stone walls and the and, yeah, the, and the green grass and, and the farm and the yeah because like like the same with uh mark's upbringing too like it wasn't like my mom was calling me out on the street to come back in for dinner yeah it was well you're either playing with john or you're playing your friends or you're you're you had to be um delivered up to a friend's house or something like that um everything was a was at a distance and i so think then when did you um sorry go ahead yeah and i think that's what i when i think i um uh, like i absolutely loved Manitoba. i just i think i loved the idea of going places and so any opportunity for traveling or i was i was on that i used to joke that you know when I turned 18, you know, there was one road. Well, there's actually a few roads out of Ballantyre, but I was definitely going to be on one. And uh, I went to college in Dublin and then um, and worked there. And then I traveled to Boston. That was great. I lived there for a few years. And then and then after that, then moved to Sydney. And I, right. I, I can't believe that I've been living overseas for over nearly 20 years. It'll be twenty years yeah. next year. Yeah. I I are you able to um are you able to put your finger on what it was that made you want to take that road out? Freedom <laughs> <laughs> Free the open road. Uh, I I just think curiosity, yeah, and the any any I suppose uh any chance of it, like any social occasion or meeting people and um, seeing what seeing what's out there, um, you know. I suppose at the time for my parents, it was out of necessity that they had to travel and and work, and of course now it's it's out of pure choice. But um, where it's funny actually because my brother has, you know, he's done lots of traveling, like a holiday traveling, and uh, he loves living in um Ballantubber and he lives next door to my parents which is just fantastic um but uh, I think he just liked to travel but always happy to live in Ireland and um I think uh, it was a, a good move for me to travel and see the world and uh, because I just um have I said, but lots of opportunity. I've had lots of different opportunities and different experiences, um, and I just want to thank the people who have created FaceTime, any of those, uh, uh, those engineers and those, yeah. anyone involved in that, because <laughs> it just makes life so much easier that I'm still because I'm still here, and t- time just flies too. Yeah, I, I can't believe that it's that far, and I go home. Like we go home to Ireland every year, once or t- if not twice a year, and love connecting. And and I think the um it's funny. I think I have an even better relationship with my parents after being living overseas. 
It's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, I, I think it would be different if I was still living in Ireland. I, I think we're going to have loads of questions about um, your your leaving and then, well, not just leaving Ireland, but leaving home and then coming to Australia. But do you think we could have a, a tune or a set of tunes? Why not? Lovely. Um, we'll go wild. What will we play now? We'll go. Yeah, I'll play um, a few. We'll play a few reels. Yeah, the first one is. Um, uh, I love playing the hits. You know, I, I what did I hear? Uh, Shan, when you it was lovely to hear um, when you interviewed Shannon Heaton. My goodness, mm. I haven't. Uh, I uh, we knew each other in Boston, and I haven't been in touch with her uh, since. Yeah, yeah, that was a hoot when you, I saw Shannon's name, and uh, that was so great. And um, she described some of the tunes that she played as the traditional the. Yeah, I don't know what she called them exactly, but I call them the hits anyway. You know, just we play yeah. the hit, the the hits. We'll we'll call them the most traditional tunes. But um, I'll go back to Shannon. She again. played um, the Irish Watch a Little Moment, didn't she? Yes, yeah, and like the Galway Rambler, the, just the classics, the Great. classics. Yeah. So uh, on that vein, I will. Uh, I'm going to play the Sailor on the Rock. Uh, another one called Sporting Paddy, and um, the last one is called John Henry's and uh, he was a, a fiddle and flute player I think from a, a little town or a little village called Dewcastle and it's on the border between Mayo and Sligo so he, he was a, a well-known musician in his day
nearly like a workout there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. before before you played, you had mentioned uh, your your freedom, right? So you you went to Dublin. How did Dublin? How was Dublin? Did it give you? A, did it scratch that itch to any extent? Like I I loved Dublin. I had the same feeling leaving Drada to get to Dublin. I, I just it was it was the big city. Oh yeah, and you know it was. Um, as you can imagine, just turning 18 and, you know, being um, able to do what you wanted. And uh, um, I was great. And I suppose where I went to college was, um, it was a, a bit like a, a another secondary school, really, because it was in, uh, as they would have said, at the teacher training college, it was in St. Pat's. Oh, yeah. Um, in Drumcondra. So it wasn't quite the university university experience um, in comparison to others, but boy, did we have fun! Oh, it was just um, would you say a bunch a bunch of cultures <laughs> up in the big smoke, and ah, uh, oh, such great friendships and just the fun. It, it was just a great place to be. So it was teaching and, then uh, you studied teach. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm trained as a pr- primary school teacher, and um, uh, it was a great. Um, and just, uh, I suppose at the time I kind of felt like I, I couldn't believe I was there. Mm. I couldn't believe, you know, I had finished um, secondary school and then had made it there. And um, I then I, wor- I worked, uh, I worked um, <laughs> for two years in, in Dublin in uh, a school um, in Walkenstown. And uh, the reason I got the job was because this just tells you how long ago that there was a nun that was in charge it was the principal and once and she was from Sligo and when she heard that I was from Mayo I think really that was that You're was right. my in she was she was looking after people that were from the west and um, and at the time everyone and their mother was moving to Australia and um, I really and I and I always kind of said, oh yeah, I really want to go and visit Australia. But it ended up um, that I was lucky enough to go to Boston for a couple of years, and and I felt so grateful because I was sponsored. I worked as a primary school teacher there as well, and I had the visa. And I, um, although it wasn't without um, kind of hassle trying to get get it, but of course it was worth it in the end. And, and to be able to come and go as I pleased. And, and that was a great experience to, to move there. And, um, and the music, like it was just fantastic. There were, when I was there, um, well, there, were, there, were, there was lots of different sessions. And, um, and in one place, place in particular, uh, it's owned by Tommy and Louise McCarthy, um, a lovely couple, uh, great musicians, and they owned a place called The Burring which they still do as far as I know. And uh, it, I suppose it was a great way to meet people when you move to a new place. And the thought that you could go any out any night of the week and have a few tunes, that was that was fantastic. It's exactly and, what your dad uh, was telling you about, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm fully appreciating it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, um, thanks, Dad. And, <laughs> uh, and, and great musicians. Like, and we had just... And there, are, lots of them are still there, like even Johnny O'Leary and um, Helena Delaney and, and Ted and Tina, oh, Ted and Tina and the Gannons and um, 
uh, just to, to name a few, and that's and, and Shannon and Matt. That's that's how we know them from Boston. Um, so how long were you, were you there? And only three years. Still, and that's a fair decent time. Yeah, yeah, it was great, and I think I would have always. I I think just time was flying so so quickly. Like I think you could blink, and the next thing that you're there ten years, and I. The only reason I left was because I always wanted to visit Australia, and I had a friend from uh, from college from St Pat's uh, living over in Sydney at the time, and I kind of wanted to make sure that I went when I knew somebody there, and hence that was really the reason I went. And um, but it was, uh, gee, I, you know what? I they just love the Irish, uh, particularly Boston, of course, and well, like like lots of men, like lots of cities in in the US, but um, uh, they loved the brogue as they called it, and you know, even teaching primary school, like even at seven, I'm Irish, I'm Irish. <laughs> they were so some of them were just so proud of their Irish heritage, which I thought was just which was fantastic. And kind of so warming and friendly. Um, I, I loved being there. It was just, everything was um, just the kind of positivity about it or, you know, the opportunities and, yeah, bigger the better. When I moved to the States, I moved from Scotland. I, I'd been living in Scotland for 20 years or nearly 20 years. Oh, and then wow. I, And then I moved to Seattle. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And... You know, I had this, um, I mean, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but, you know, I remember sitting in Seattle at one point and feeling like there was a certain weight had lifted off me because there was something about being in America. Maybe it was just the fact that it was so big, nobody gives a shit what you're doing. Yeah. That is it, though. That is the feeling, I think, so many... Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's deep yeah. in me. When I, like That was part of the reason why I left Drada, like, even though it's a big town, but it's just that... And Dublin even starts to feel small when you spend some time there. I suppose any place does. And then, I don't know, America's just that... It's another scale. I mean, I guess that's a version of the freedom that we're talking about that you mentioned earlier on, right? Yeah. There's a freedom from expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a freedom from... Yeah preconceptions all, all of the, all of the above all of the above and uh, yeah just um you know and it's growing up in a small village what will the neighbors think um and you know it's it certainly wasn't i was doing anything exciting but to the you potential know, I, for excitement <laughs> <laughs> you could That's have got in trouble living. at any time yeah, i'm still living on that there were shenanigans yeah. to be had and I was going exactly. to be there. And um, and that was the joy as well of coming to Sydney, you know. Um, oh, just just having such fun and going out at any time. And and I suppose just a different lifestyle too. Like with be- even, even, even America with, be- with the weather and uh, it was just I, I, experiencing new things, different experiences. Um, it's funny like my cousin um who lives across the road from uh, where i grew up like and she kind of would ask well, what kind of what does your day look like um and she's asked me that since i lived here and i suppose what you you think is normal now would be could be quite, quite different if you're living in ireland and just even as an example here uh, you know, I get up in the morning and try to make sure that I get down to the beach every day before school and uh, 
um, you know, uh, I suppose with with different weather, I suppose it's just, just different opportunities. But like I said, you know, we're still doing the laundry and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're still doing jobs. Yeah, like the, the, they, they don't go away. But I, I think um, it it was the best. I, I think it was quite heartbreaking for my parents, although they have been fantastic about it, um, you know, and really kind of come to terms with the fact that that I'm that I'm away. But I, I think they can understand. They can understand why as well. And uh yeah, just even the opportunities that were open to me. Um, I don't know if they, well, they might have happened in Ireland, but I certainly wouldn't be the person I am today without having left. But uh, do you miss your brother John? Yeah, it's funny. It's um, uh, I don't know. Would it be a brother and sister relationship or a sister and sister relationship but um we would we would call each other and you know we'd he's 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 very funny actually he's he's a good sense of humor and i would always kind of go to him if i had a question about anything or he really is um really interested into the history of music he really um is a real academic and uh, such a great source of knowledge that I would always ask him what's what and what's not you know he would be studying the bowing of certain players and um, you know and in the past he's definitely hung around with lots of older musicians you know and really learned in their versions of tunes and yeah he's just such a great source and um, and I'm just so delighted that he's close to my parents Um like, you know, to have, you know, as who knows what's going to happen in the future. You know, do I go back to Ireland for a while or because um, nobody nobody's getting any younger. But um, I'm so grateful that he he loves Mayo and that that he's living at home. But he is happy to come for a visit, but uh, wouldn't ever see himself living overseas. Have um, have mum and dad been, been out this way? They, yeah, my mum my has and uh, it was great um, for even and just to kind of see what what was what and even when she visited me the last time we were living in Sydney and uh, um, and we came on a trip to Byron Bay because that's where I am now um, and for her to just get have the sense of of what the town is like because dad has never been to Australia um and certainly I can't see that happening now but um, I suppose I'd describe where we live now uh, as Westport with better weather I'm not sure if either either of you have been to Westport but it's a, it's a lovely spot and um, uh, of course with Matt Malloy's right smack bang in the middle of it um, which is great for uh, for a tune but um, uh, I'm it's I just feel so grateful for for being able to live up here and uh, and literally living the dream here. <laughs> mm. for, it is freedom. an incredibly beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's 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 it is sensational. It's really it's really lovely and um and and the most unbelievable thing too no matter where you go there always seems to be some Irish music. That's what I was like, going to ask so what what's happening there? Yeah, because like I could not believe 
that there were when I moved up here we're here now um over six years and uh to to find out from all the musicians that there were a couple of um traditional musicians here already I just thought this is just like this is unbelievable so over the past few years um uh there's a lovely guitarist and flute player Matt Connolly like imagine like how Irish can you get although you know he, Matt was born in in Melbourne but with a name like Matt Connolly like hello I love it and um and then and I, you know, and another thing just about the next few musicians I'll mention is I just I'm so fascinated by people who either um who weren't born in Ireland and yet play Irish music or you know if they have Irish heritage and then that's why they're playing but especially people who have nothing to do you know no um affiliation with Ireland and yet they're playing Irish music I just think it's it's uh not astounding but a pretty it's impressive to say the least and that's what I found as well um living in Boston that there were people who had absolutely no connection with Ireland yet played Irish music to such an amazing standard and so interested in it it was just it was just a great uh, a joy to be around and um to go back to byron um so matt's here and uh, and unfortunately a lovely lovely flute player from spain no less alberto um he's just moved back um to be with his family um with his australian partner um brie they, they're up here and um and they've just moved back to spain for now I'm I'm hoping that that doesn't mean forever, so that they'll they'll come back soon. But um, and and then there's a few kind of musicians that would be uh, here every now and again. Uh, I can't believe I don't know his last name, but we call him Paddy the Baker. <laughs> who, who, who needs a last name when you've got that? So, yeah, exactly. And he plays the banjo. So there, so we've had um, kind of a not a weekly session, but a session every fortnight in. Uh, a town called Mullumbimby. I don't know if you'd have heard of that, and uh, the uh, the largest little inland town in northern New South Wales. And um, and it's funny. I kind of think at times, in a sometimes in a place, I think, well, who would be interested in Irish music? But it it's it's amazing. People it's like just some people just really love folk music. And um, when we play in uh, the little pub in the the middle pub in Mullum. The the people the patrons are the client they're just the customers are so appreciative. It's fantastic. they're just they just get really into it. It's really lovely to see. Yeah. I get surprised every time. Like I'm trying to remember with Byron Bay. Like would you would you be connected with the Brisbane scene at all? Or is that that's like three hours away, right? Or two hours away. Yeah, so Brisbane is just about two hours away. Yeah. And then there's a few musicians um on the Gold Coast, which would be about an hour or an hour and a half away. And um so I just can't believe that there's just a little pocket of us here. And um and just on a side note, um I was just really delighted to hear that um that Shannon Heaton had kind of created an online session. I just thought that was such a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I was up to the up to playing at that tempo. I was like, <laughs> moderately paced and I went on to have a look and I went, ha 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 that's okay. Oh, I've still a while to go. 
Okay, all right. Okay, well, as my father would say, let's slow it down to 35. Okay, <laughs> don't worry. I, 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 I'm happy to play it at any pace that you want, actually, just to make sure that you're... That, that you no, I'm, I'm proper baby, baby. I've just picked it up. So um, I was even... I was... Anyway, I shouldn't even be mentioning it. <laughs> no, when you can and you have to start somewhere. So um, delighted to hear it. And I think you could probably teach me some old timey. So we, we can do we can do, we'll a, do deal. a trade. That sounds Aye. like a deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, well, Mary, do you fancy another tune? Let's do another tune. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play um, two reels. Brilliant. Two more, two more classics. Yeah. Um, the first one's called The Blackberry Blossom and the second one is called The Gatehouse Maid. have you been teaching Mary by the way those were those were great even down the phone oh you're very kind um yeah, I love I love them and I I learned them from Patty Ryan actually um many many moons ago they're probably in that notebook that we still have at home but um uh what was it how long I, I'm teaching I can't believe it I don't be telling my age um for uh, nearly 20 years now um and it's been just such a wealth of experience between teaching in Dublin, teaching in Boston, um, teaching in Sydney, and now 
um, up in, in Byron Bay. And um, yeah, I just kind of think about how things have changed. And Exactly yeah. what I was going to ask you about was about teaching. Um, mm. So uh, what age kids do you teach? Yeah, I've taught, um, you know, like they say here from K to K to six, but um, at the moment it's 11 and 12 year olds, preteens. And um, and all that goes with it. I see. I'm not sure what age your children are, so um, uh, you'll have to let me know. But um, I've t- I've taught all ages. Uh, mine are mine are six and seven, and um, oh, beautiful! Yeah, I was I was secretly taking consolation from when you were saying about how hard it was, uh, uh, how hard it was to get you to practice anything when you were a youngster, because um, my kids love taking lessons, but they just don't want to practice. So, and Darren, your your boys are ten. Yeah, and that's and it also goes for me, Dom. So I'm forty, and I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change. Yeah. I hear you, and it's funny. Like it's and it's just even the same within the classroom. If you just as an example, um, you know, students might be, you know, with a writing task, and so they might, you know, write something. You know, we'd be practicing it during the term you know using some of the techniques we'll say we'll say persuasive writing and um and then you might read some of their work give them feedback on it to go back and try and improve it further or make edit it um uh, like try and add more sophisticated language etc um oh you know it's like pulling teeth uh you know I've done it this is it and that's all that's happening nobody wants to you know I I, I suppose it's in general I suppose do you when you do create something to go back and refine it and improve it further it requires quite a lot of effort um I haven't worked out the secret ingredient of motivating people to do that but um If, if you think of yourself though you know when you were starting as a teacher and you think of yourself now as a teacher is is it possible to not to sum up but to like what do you know now that you that you didn't know then about about youngsters oh, and about yourself oh, oh, that's such a good question Ooh, how long do you have um as long I'm, as you I'm want all, i'm all for a person <laughs> i'm all for person development mm. um I think just the, the, the beauty of this job and the, and the privilege that it is as a teacher is, is you're just dealing with different 28 or whatever it is, personalities. And it, it's just... Um, what? It's just how does one connect with them? Um, you know, and really teaching is, is for want of better, is, is that building relationships. And then... Um, experiencing success like and uh like a lot of work that we do we do is is their self-belief and their how they speak to themselves you know that whole movement about their mindset uh growth and fixed you know with carol dweck um i just think that's really powerful what what is is that Uh, yeah so carol dweck um she's a professor uh from stanford and um so how you approach something or how you feel about things uh so as an example um you know some of the self-talk that could be adults and children included 
you know, oh, I'll never be any good at that. Oh, I'm useless at that. I can't do that. And then with or kind of approaching tasks, what will others think? Um, you know, coming back from failure. Uh, I'll never I'll, I'll never be able to try or do this again. I, I failed once. I won't tr- I won't try it again just in case fear based, um, you know, fear based stuff. And then the opposite of that is as a growth mindset is, well, I haven't achieved it yet, but um, using effort and persistence that, you know, so much more can be achieved. I think, yes, yeah, so they've done lots of studies on and, and you know, for every study there is, I'm sure there's another study that will disprove it. But I, I do think it's it's been very powerful in the classroom for me is that just really trying to uh, hone in on their self-talk and kind of with a willingness to, well, I haven't accomplished it yet, but I'm just going to give it, I'm, I'm going to give it my best shot. I ho- I'm not sure if I explained that now properly. Yeah, the, the growth yeah. mindset stuff, like I, I went through... My kids, particularly, was one of their early teachers. Did a great job instilling the idea of the growth mindset with the boys, and and I don't think it gets referenced as much as it used to back then. But internally in the house, we mentioned it to them. It's such a powerful tool. It just turns them on. You can mm-hmm. see them reevaluate for themselves their own thoughts on the subject, and then they reapproach it. You, it and to see a kid do that like i didn't think kids could do that i I would have loved to have had that tool at a younger age as it absolutely absolutely like this has just been powerful to me as an adult and the and and the power of words um and the power of thoughts Mm -hmm. like it's just you know and another term is just to reframe it just change the way you think like you have the power to choose um yeah, who would have thought that the, the change in the way you think about yourself would have an impact on the way you <laughs> act i mean pretty simple when you think about it but it's so fundamental but you, it's so easily overlooked and so and it and and sometimes it's just you need something else or something to come to you to even to to realize that and um uh it's uh, you know just even an example i'm not sure if we're getting off topic but hey is um i've done a lot of um, work on how maths is taught and another another um professor joe bowler who also te- an english lady but uh, who's also uh, works at stanford um you know has done a lot of research in how to reframe people's views about maths and mm-hmm. a lot of myths about learning maths and oh you know i'll never be any like good what? at maths and i'll never uh, i won't do it with i suppose if you are someone who gets the answer to a maths question very quickly, that automatically means that you're excellent at maths, which is not necessarily the case at all. And as we know, lots of great math- mathematicians um, are very slow, like are much slower to come to conclusions or um, work out things. And it's been really helpful in the classroom to just because you don't get an answer straight away doesn't mean that you're not good at maths and and you know there's now it's it's so much about it's not just the answer i suppose it feels like that when when i was in uh in secondary school but now it's about well how many different strategies can you come up with to create that solution how many different ways can you do it and uh i said i i suppose matt's kind of being taught 
way moving away from all the procedures and the algorithms and more men you know lot there are lots of different ways to work out something it's 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 great it's yeah. did you ever come across um um bob and ellen kaplan math circles they're uh, harvard pair from harvard um I used to know Bob and Ellen from when I was living in Scotland and what they used to do was um, they would travel all over the States and, <clears throat> and in Europe and they would have these math circles where there would be kids of, you know, age five and there'd be adults aged in their 70s and 80s and everyone in between and everybody would be talking about the same stuff, right? The most seemingly esoteric mathematical things like you know calculus and <laughs> mm. stuff like that i just wondered if you'd bumped into that in the course of your no and i'm gonna i'm just gonna i'm gonna have to look that up they're real believers in the idea that you're intrinsically have a capacity to to perform in a mathematical setting in some form or another and that the problem comes from when you try and fit lots of different people into one uniform series of strategies there there lies the problem yes and that um, and from Joe Bowler's research is that, you know, everyone can learn to maths to high levels. It, it's, it's, I think, the, the way the task is approached. And that's right. There are, it's, it's not, thank goodness, it's not just one way anymore. But, um, and an awful lot about confidence too. And that, that that's linked in with um, the mindset work as well. It's, uh, so let, let's work on the mindset about it. Uh, being a musician <laughs> it feeds into the theory that i've said a few a few times that about music like i don't know the, the thing around talent and i've been corrected by this from people who actually know what they're talking about so i'm very aware i'm talking out my ass but i still have the theory that <laughs> you're, you're all welcome here <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, like talent is a great word and everything but it kind of just annoys me that i think the real talent is the is the perseverance like there's a, a whole other side of it that is that's your the willingness to show up and be shit for ages and ages and ages and ages. That's another really important part that like no one no one taught no one you don't know that when you go in. Yeah. You pick it up and you go, Oh, I instantly not great at this. Oh well, not for me. And and, and the belief. The belief in oneself as well. Mm-hmm. So there's talent yeah. as well talent and belief and effort. It's it, the perfect mixture. Yeah. Have you, have you always yeah. had that, Mary, for yourself? You know, like as a, and I don't mean just as a musician, but. Um, oh, just in, in life in general. Absolutely. Like be questioning your, um, questioning and self-doubt and questioning your worth. And uh, it's a good check in. Um, at the end of the day, nobody really cares what, what yeah. I think it's what you care about yourself is the most important thing. Um, everybody else is worried about themselves rather than uh, what they think of you. If, if... But the perception that, that other people are outside are judging you or are assessing you. I mean, that just speaking personally for myself, that can be something incredibly difficult and painful to... to debilitating and uh, you know what's funny it just comes back to that mindset well um i can't believe i'm using this phrase but what other people think is none of your business um and 
uh, I'm not the biggest fan of that phrase, but you know, it does, it gets the message across, but, um, it's, how does one gain that self-confidence and that self-efficacy and that knowing that, you know what, you're good enough just as you are. <laughs> I sound like I'm quoting from Bridget Jones or something, <laughs> but, um, uh, I, and I suppose it comes to, cause I, it's it's like the nightly conversations or the daily should I say in my end um I talk to my mom every day and uh I I think I was asking her um she said have you ever wor- you know worried or cared if about if you were good enough or I said and things like that and she said I think by the time you get to her age you're you're well past caring I think yeah you just go through a phase of it and then when does it come to a point where you're just going to say enough and you you go and just do your own thing? I tell my lads, I tell my boys at the whole time, like if, if there's anything I could teach them at a younger age would be just don't worry about what other people think. It's the, I mean, it's such a strong key to to life. Exactly. <laughs> just, and, 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 and some have it to a greater degree than mm. others. I think that would be Which the, if I had a time machine, that might be my, I don't know if I'd tell myself the lottery numbers or... Don't worry about what other people think. Exactly. Maybe both. And I think, did I, I think it, everyone suffers from it in some shape or form, or have done maybe in the past, or is it even worse if you're Irish? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I remember my dad. My dad um, uh, was a was a great bowler, you know, um, not cricket, um, <laughs> flat green balls, and um, I remember him taking me down to the bowling green one day for. Um, for a game of balls and uh, the bowling green in Ballycastle is um, it sort of sits down on the seafront and there's a kind of raised wall all around it with a fence on top so so quite often during the summer there'd be lots of people kind of watching the balls and I went down with my dad and I was I, I said to my dad I'm very nervous there's a lot of people here and he says ah, sure nobody's watching you <laughs> <laughs> too far dad that's a good life lesson there. No one cares. No one else. They might for a minute, but they're too caught up with themselves to, to care. And and it's a good, gosh, it's good in every aspect of life really too, but um, kind of a sense of ownership. This is my music and this is how I play it. And if you like it, good and well. And if you don't, that's okay. And it's it's nice, um, yeah, I suppose it's gaining that self-confidence. And I suppose I try to talk to the students about that a lot. Like even just a really simple activity, which I heard somebody else recommending. Um, uh, if you're waiting to hear something from someone else, um, just say it to yourself. I hope that makes sense. So if you were waiting for someone to pay a compliment or praise or something like that, um, just tell it to yourself. And uh, I asked the students uh, to write down, like in a journal, um, what would they like to hear from somebody? And it's, you know, like any group of people, some found it very easy um, and some others uh, really were really challenged to know what could they say. Some were able to give a wealth of detail and then others were, could just come up with, well done. (laughs) It's an interesting it's an interesting concept. I, I, I had one other thing I wanted to ask you, Mary, which was um, when you've been a teacher for a long time, 
you know, you're you're in an administrative system. There's a whole series of engineering all around what you do, right? How do you and how have you retained your your love for kids through this? Assuming you have, which it sounds yeah. like you have. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, phew. Um, I think it's that drive to get the best, uh, even just to get the best, no matter what age you are, to get the best version of yourself. Um, and how in the world can I motivate or encourage or inspire others to, you know, to get the best selves about it and, and guide them, I suppose, as well. It's, um, you know, I'm not sure if you've heard of um, Ken Robinson. Um, he, he passed uh, away recently and um, but he he uh, had a talk about how schools kill creativity and you know with the school system that was um, created in the industrial revolution and really we still have something very similar to this day which doesn't suit modern day life so I, I genuinely am trying to change the approach or the tradi- or the traditional way of teaching that will really support students as they get older, you know, for life in general, um, for them to have a sense of self as well as being able to be a problem solver and uh, be able to cope in different situations and being able to collaborate because who knows what kind of there'd be a multitude of jobs that they will be experiencing. We don't even obviously know what, what w- awaits them, you know, as, as adults. And uh, th- they need the skills to be able to, you know, like, like resilience and persistence within themselves. And then, of course, collaboration and cooperation with others and, uh, and solve real life, you know, work things out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. 100%. Really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Oh, it was great. It was so, it was, it was fun. And you know what, you, you, you said it beautifully, like, you know, in the lead up to this, um, uh, it's supposed to be fun. And um, uh, which, which, well, I hope it was for me anyway. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that I'm able to crack a few jokes with, I, I, I'm all for that. And um, and you've committed and to I'm teaching me you. some fiddle tunes, so you know. Oh, we're the word <laughs> locked absolutely. In. Yeah, and uh, Shannon Heaton, eat your heart out on the next uh, COVID session here, <laughs> because uh, Dom and I are just going to be taken over the world by storm. And uh, um, brilliant, thank you. Well, um, would you do a couple of tunes to to finish things off? Yeah, perfect, perfect. We'll, thank you. Um, this is another. This is another. Um, Another conversation where I c- I'm coming away with uh, my, my head is just full of interesting things that I want to sort of think about more deeply, especially about about education. And, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah, Thank you. The, oh, pleasure. An absolute pleasure. Um, I think uh, I think Dr. Zeus was onto something. But, you know, lots of his uh, about caring what others think and um, just be true to yourself. But um, what are we going to play? We're going to finish up now you're definitely going to know these dumps so you're going to be able to play along with these for sure uh i'm going to finish off with um the con man's rambles and out in the ocean yep beautiful
Beautiful. Don't hit stop yet. Um, just just before we but just before we let you go, I just want to redo um, my my very first intro to you because I realised I mispronounced your name with the. Oh, don't worry. Well, you and everyone and their mother. No, but that's 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 all right. Um, so I'm just going to redo my intro, and then if you could laugh in a spontaneous way, that would be great. Just like you did the first time around. <laughs> You don't even, you don't even need to ask that. That's just what happens Mary, when you speak. Miriam McEvely Butler, welcome to, <laughs> welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. This is spoken like a pro. There you go. Brilliant. <laughs> Miriam McEvely Butler, uh, to give her her full title. So that was great. That was really, uh, what a laugh, Darren. Yeah, I had been looking forward to it and... It just it delivered exactly what I thought it was going to be. I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the um, the the growth mindset that Mary had spoke about. Not I mentioned in the interview, but my my boys did that when they were in um, in prep in year one, two, in um, when they were they were in Footscray, which is in like a suburb of Melbourne, and it was it really did make an impact on them, particularly one of my boys and. I just thinking about it over the last weekend and I think it really it's really worth investigating particularly when it comes to as an adult being an adult learner whether it's learning an instrument or whatever it is like I know I don't know if I was referencing it on purpose but it must have been in my psyche like I think around the time around the time I was giving up booze around the time I was playing well I picked up the banjo first picking up giving up booze making this podcast the, that idea of having a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset is is really powerful and I think it's one of those things I think I would have been better off as a lad growing up with that or, or the acknowledgement that your mind can be malleable and the idea of saying yet is the, the power that that might be able to, to bring a young learner and then I thought it's probably got as much. What do you, what do you mean by the, the, the yet? Well, let's say at the minute I can't play fiddle yet. Oh, right. Okay, got it. Right, mm-hmm. or I can't play that tune yet. Right, I can't work that maths problem out yet. It's the potentials there. It's acknowledging that with work it can happen. Like it feeds into that half baked theory I have about being a good player. Is a lot of it is the willingness to suck for an extended period of time, right? Because yeah. that's the yeah. the idea is that. It takes work and it's fine. You just it's it's okay not to get it straight away. It's just have a, a mindset that's set that that's allowing you to progress at whatever rate that is. Now I I'm not I'm not fully versed in the full philosophy behind it. I just know enough that kind of what came through the kids and I pulled out of it and then been thinking about it a lot during the week. Like mm-hmm. I, I went and I sat down with a a stranger and asked him could I play a tune with him on on Saturday, which is like two days ago. And it was because like, in the back of my mind, I had this growth mindset about saying yes to things, about being open, pushing myself. I, I, really, all I wanted to do was just go, mm, no. So so that's, uh, you know, saying yes to things is, um, I don't know if that comes under the rubric of um, a growth mindset, but I mean, that's how, that's how I understand the notion of it, um, which is, um, having a default setting of yes rather than no, mm-hmm. which is incredibly difficult for me, I have to say. Like my, and and you know, um, 
who knows uh, where that comes from or how deeply buried it is but um I realized this um, very early on when I was first um, when I was starting to look after my uh, stepdaughter Mali, and I remember going to uh, visit extended family and realizing that there was there was one parent in the, the group of parents in that family whose default setting was yes to his kids and I was real and I realized so starkly that my default setting was no and my default setting of my parents when I was growing up was mostly no I think probably um anyway it's it's so always we're hearing a, Rose and Pietro might be getting in a a new <laughs> a new approach well here's here's the revolutionary thing I know this is going on a bit but I'm going to tell you this we'll talk about this in an intro later but um I have a book by a a, a um, American academic and it's called Peaceful Parents Happy Siblings and uh, that is currently our bedtime reading for the kids yeah nice so uh, it's really cool actually we read it I read a little bit of it and we actually talk about the stuff that's within it and um, when you have a moment like that with with your kids if you're lucky enough to be able to do that uh, it's pretty frightening how sophisticated their understanding of the dynamics of what's going on in your family is yeah completely so hey the other thing that i just wanted to like with, with that like so have we passed the three hour yet mark yet it doesn't this? matter it's our podcast we can do what we want <laughs> this is this is why we're independent <laughs> so right, we can do right. exactly this is why this. we don't have ads we yeah don't sponsor. rte is not knocking on the door saying come on uh late late show is on in 20 um <laughs> the, the part of the reasoning too of me going in sitting with that guy right the growth mindset was the one side of it. And the other side of it is a listener of ours got in contact with us and asked if we would um, have a chat with them because they live in Maryland in the US and they teach a one of the modules in their school is Irish music and he's the, the teacher for that. And the kids are between 11 and 14. He, he just wanted to have a chat with us about what we do and why we do it. And... Um, in this, that made me think about like what, geez, what, what have I got to say to, to kids? Like, there's, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm actually the worst person to to ask because I don't know anything. And then I thought, well, is that that idea of being given a passport? Like, when you can play music, and you're you're proficient enough to, to play with people, you get a passport to, well, to the world to it there's an easy in for socializing like that socializing light thing that i mentioned to you before and it comes from it allows a, a different type of growth mindset like i would i, w- I would suffer from social anxiety social anxiety from time to time i can i, I can get really introverted and, inter- and inward focusing if i'm around people that i don't know that well or maybe just i don't feel that uncomfortable that i don't feel that comfortable with where music is a real kind of it, it levels the playing field a bit for me mm-hmm. and you get to you get to actually be confident about your music which levels off the the social 
anxieties that so it kind of they level each other out and i think because everyone in that situation is doing something similar you have this nice balancing and i kind of just thought i thought i need to go and sit with this guy or at least ask him if you if you fancies having a tune which i'm so happy i did because it get it got me engaging with that thought about what music does and it's that having that growth mindset of pushing myself to go and to go and do it right and i think the growth mindset something if you can remember to do it i think that's the hardest part is to remember it. all you need to do is remember it and you can't help but change your 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 wave patterns of thinking like once mm-hmm. you think of it once you engage with the thought of am i in a growth mindset you've already done it mm-hmm. well i all that came from this conversation <laughs> with mm-hmm. Mary McEvely, which Completely. is pretty brilliant. Yeah. So thank you, Mary. As we said at the top of the show, if you'd like to become a patron, patreon.com forward slash Balarney Pilgrims. And if you can't afford it, we get it. Please share us about. I think that's the outro music coming up behind me. We're being yeah, kicked out. Is indeed. Have you yep. no homes to go to? <laughs> see, you, see you next week. Good luck. Hi, my name is Jack, so please become a good subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.